public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard has a Star Talk report on daylight saving time. Christine San Jose recites poetry along the Poets Row. Sweetwater guide Evan Padua has a fishing report on tying flies. Pat and Jim Sanders report on early spring birds. Laura Silverman inspires tasty recipes for carrots. And farm girl Dana gets mobile with her free-range chickens. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. First, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. Air raid sirens are sounding in a number of cities across Ukraine today. Russian forces continue to step up their offensive in the eastern and southern parts of the country. NPR's Lauren Frere reports explosions are also being reported in the Ukrainian capital as Russian troops close in on the city. With Russian forces positioned less than 20 miles from central Kyiv, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky gave a speech in the middle of the night in which he addressed the mothers of Russian conscripts. Do not send your children to fight in a foreign land, he said in Russian, in a video shared on social media. Zelensky said the southern port city of Mariupol is still under siege and that the mayor of another southern city had been detained by the Russians. Hundreds of people rallied in front of his city hall Saturday, chanting for his release. In a third southern city, Ukrainian officials and doctors accused Russia of damaging a cancer hospital and residential buildings. Fortunately, no one was killed there, they say. Lauren Freyer, NPR News in Lviv, Ukraine. The Justice Department has assembled a new task force to go after billionaire oligarchs who enable the Russian government. NPR's Carrie Johnson reports it's part of an effort to freeze the assets of those who have violated sanctions imposed on Moscow for its invasion of Ukraine. Prosecutors, FBI agents, and translators are working together on the new effort. A Justice Department official says they'll charge people who evade sanctions or engage in money laundering and bank fraud. That includes oligarchs as well as banks and money transfer facilities that allow the flow of dirty money. Authorities say some of those funds have paid for luxury real estate and yachts, which they'll try to seize through criminal and civil law. The Justice Department says it's looking for any legal way to disrupt the Russian war regime. Carrie Johnson, NPR News, Washington. The newly elected president of Chile is pledging to govern the country in the interest of all its people. The BBC's Katie Watson reports in his first presidential address, Gabriel Boric promised to advance the rights of women and indigenous minorities. Standing on the balcony of La Moneda Presidential Palace, Gabriel Boric gave an emotional speech about inclusion and equality, telling Chileans that he would make sure that everyone was listened to and represented, no matter their beliefs. But with a divided Congress and plenty of political opponents in conservative Chile, he will have a challenge on his hands to deliver on his promises, such as tax reforms and an overhaul of the pension and healthcare systems. And with a majority female cabinet sworn in, already Chile's government 
is looking very different. That's the BBC's Katie Watson reporting. You're listening to NPR News in Washington. Support comes from Van Gorder's Furniture, featuring Lodge and Adirondack styles as well as rustic collections. With showrooms at Lake Wall and Poppock, downtown Honesdale, and Milford, PA. Van Gorder's Furniture brings the outdoors inside. VanGorders.com. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, Christine San Jose recites poetry along the Poets Row. Sweetwater Fishing Guide. Evan Padua has a report on tying flies. Pat and Jim Sanders from the Northeast Pennsylvania Audubon Society report on early spring birds. Laura Silverman inspires tasty recipes for carrots, and farm girl Dana gets mobile with her free-range chickens. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with his Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced farm and country. For farm and country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. It's the beginning of March, and that means it's time we set our clocks forward one hour. Tomorrow morning at 2 a.m. marks the start of daylight saving time, and we will spring forward by setting our clocks ahead. While that means we will lose an hour of sleep tonight, it also means that we will see more daylight during our waking hours. Daylight saving time does not increase the length of the day. That is set by the rotation of Earth. What daylight saving time does increase is the amount of time we are awake during the daylight hours. This morning, the sun rose around 6.10 a.m., but tomorrow, the sun will rise around 7.10 a.m. The modern concept of daylight saving time came in 1895, when George Hudson proposed a two-hour time shift. It wasn't until the outbreak of World War I that daylight saving time was adopted as an energy-saving measure Germany adopted the system in 1915, Britain in 1916, and the United States followed in 1918. In the U.S., daylight saving time lasted about seven months before being repealed. It returned for good during World War II, again as an energy-saving measure. The original start date of daylight saving time was the last Sunday in April. The current start date of the second Sunday in March was adopted in 2007. Remember to spring forward tonight and set your clocks forward one hour before going to bed. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. along the poet's row, oh, we're plunged into darkness. Moonless night, says Sheila Dugan, Sheila from Milanville. 
I woke up in the blackness between night and dawn in the rude cabin my grandmother's uncle had homesteaded on the lucent lake deep in the north woods and told my mother I was blind. Kindly, my mother struck a match and restored my sight. It is a new moon, she crooned, and the stars have already left the sky. Lucky Sheila, with a mother who could make the magic of the moon. And for moon magic, of course, Walter de la Mer hears his dream song. Sunlight, moonlight, twilight, starlight, gloaming at the close of day, and an owl calling, cool dews falling in a wood of oak and may. Lantern light, taper light, torchlight, no light, darkness at the shut of day, and lions roaring, their wrath pouring in wild waste places far away. Elf light, bat light, touchwood light and toad light, and the sea a shimmering gloom of grey, and a small face smiling in a dream's beguiling, in a world of wonders far away. <laughs> we know whose it is, that small face smiling. Let's have Sandy Long bring us back into the light, but leave us with a reminder threshold. Another day dawns, light on one side, then darkness. We wander between. Along the Poets Row, this has been Christine San Jose for Farm and Country. For Radio Catskill and Farm and Country, this is Evan Padua bringing you Hooked on Fishing. In a time where product liquidation is very apparent in most industries, true fly fishermen take pride in their self-tied flies or where they came from and who tied them. Fly tying is an art, a hobby, and a business, and all three for some people. A major benefit of tying your own flies is the ability to make the fly look exactly how you want it to look and act in the water a specific way. Most flies are tied with fur and feather fibers from various animals like rabbit, muskrat, turkeys, and pheasants, just to name a few. Other synthetic materials help to add bodies and depth to certain flies, as well as a variety of hooks and weights. It is an ultimate accomplishment to trap or shoot an animal that is then used to create a fly for fishing, and then catch a fish on the fly you tied. There is an amazing story about a man named Edwin Rist called The Feather Heist, a fun read or listen. Check it out sometime. Many people tie a lot of flies over winter seasons when time spent fishing is less. This is a good time to learn new patterns and techniques for fly tying. Locally, we have the Catskill Fly Fishing Museum as a great resource. 
Also, many local fly shops in New York and Pennsylvania hold fly tying events, which are fun and educational. Personally, I took up fly tying in my mid-twenties, and I enjoy doing it. I tie ugly flies that catch fish. I still purchase flies also, mostly from local or well-known tires for a specific purpose or pattern that I want to acquire. Some of my most simple jig patterns use chenille and marabou on small jig heads. I am hoping to put one of these jig style flies in a brook trout's mouth through the ice. Flies can be very versatile. If you are a fisherman and want to cut down on your phone and screen time, I suggest you buy a fly tying vise and give it a try. For Radio Catskill, Farm and Country, and Hooked on Fishing, this has been Evan Padua, casting off. Good morning. This is Jim and Pat Sanders for Farm and Country, and our program is for the birds. Well, it's cold, 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 and we're really anxious for signs of spring. Since this is radio, we thought that an audio preview of what's to come would provide some much-needed therapy for all of us. So, what birds do you first think of as a harbinger of spring? Maybe the robin? Many of us cling to the idea of the American robin as spring's ambassador, arriving in early March to cheer up, cheer up that warm weather. But truth to tell, there are other birds that are more reliable harbingers of spring, since robins traditionally aren't the earliest returnees. As a matter of fact, many robins actually spend the winter right here. A surer signal from the birds that winter is waning is an overhead flock of snow geese or tundra swans on their way to breeding grounds in the high Arctic. They may be thousands of feet in the air, so you might not spot their long V formations, but it's thrilling to catch their high-pitched calls all the same. Wood ducks return to local lakes early in March, and it's always very exciting to see them. Field guides just don't do these water birds justice. The males are fantastically gorgeous, much handsomer than any other wild duck. If lakes are still locked in ice, wood ducks stack up in shoreline trees and gobble desiccated crab apples as they wait for ice out. But our very favorite and surest sign of returning spring is the red-winged blackbird song, as the males establish their territory. These birds are usually here in early March, and I consider it a very special gift for my March birthday to hear one. 
Also heard very early is the paint call of the American woodcock. He's calling for mates, and will follow up this call with a spectacular upward flight. And if you were outside and listening earlier in February, you've heard some of the great horned owls that just don't wait for true spring to start before finding mates and laying eggs. Here's a pair duetting. And woodpeckers will hammer out their heart's desire with their beaks against hollow branches. So do bundle up and go out and listen. Hopefully you'll hear that red-winged blackbird. This has been Jim and Pat Sanders for Farm and Country, and we're For the Birds. For WJFF's Farm and Country, this is Laura Silverman bringing you What's Cooking? It's said that familiarity breeds contempt. If ever a vegetable risked overexposure, it's the carrot. And yet, few prosaic staples of the kitchen are more beloved. What it lacks in mystery, the carrot makes up for in sweetness, refreshing crunch, and brilliant living color. Most commonly orange, but there are also purple, black, red, white, and yellow cultivars. It's a good thing, then, that carrots can be stored for months in the refrigerator, and even longer in a root cellar, stacked between layers of sand or soil. It turns out we like to eat them all year long, and there are countless ways to enjoy them, both savory and sweet. Originally, the carrot, a domesticated form of the wild carrot, was cultivated for its aromatic leaves and seeds, rather than what we eat now, the taproots. They contain high qualities of alpha and beta carotene, and plenty of vitamins A, K, and B, plus lutein and zeaxanthin carotenoids, which are thought to support strong vision and eye health. One intriguing fact is that only 3% of the beta carotene in raw carrots is released during digestion, but this can be vastly improved by cooking them with oil. Cooking, especially roasting, caramelizes the sugars in carrots, giving them a heightened and more complex sweetness. So now I'd like to tell you some of my favorite ways to prepare carrots. On the savory side, there's carrot ginger soup. I saute chopped onion, garlic, fresh ginger, and carrots, then simmer everything in water until quite soft. This is pureed in a blender or food processor, or with an immersion blender, thinned with more water as needed, and brightened with a squeeze of lemon juice. It's delicious hot, garnished with croutons, a little orange zest, and a handful of fresh herbs. And it's also wonderful cold with a dollop of thick yogurt. Make a salad that is truly perfection. Whole carrots are tossed with lemon juice, honey, and cayenne, and roasted until tender. Once cooled, they are thickly sliced and piled on a plate with chunks of avocado, 
a handful of arugula, spiced pumpkin seeds, and a little sour cream to offset the spice. Speaking of spice, Moroccans make a salad of grated or sliced carrot, sometimes cooked, sometimes raw, that's loaded with cumin, garlic, and fresh cilantro, and spiked with a healthy dose of harissa, a hot, aromatic paste made from red chilies and spices. On the sweet side, we're all familiar with the ubiquitous carrot cake and its cream cheese icing, but it truly never gets old. I've been making the recipe from the Silver Palette cookbook for almost 30 years. Yes, since I was a tiny child. <laughs> In addition to carrots, this double-layer beauty is packed with pineapple, raisins, coconut, and walnuts. And every year on Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, I treat myself to the carrot cake donut at Donut Plant in New York City. It's filled with a ribbon of cream cheese frosting, and it's my idea of heaven. In northern India, they cook carrots down with milk, sugar, and cardamom until they dissolve into a rich, creamy fudge that is chilled, scattered with pistachios, and cut into squares to be enjoyed as a sweet treat. And once, I even made a batch of carrot marshmallows, tinted a delicate orange. They were delicious, broiled on top of a sweet potato casserole. I hope this has given you renewed interest in the unlimited potential of the humble yet mighty carrot. Unless, of course, you're like Mae West, who said the only carrots she was interested in came in a diamond. Thanks for joining me here today. This is Laura Silverman, and you've been listening to WJFF's What's Cooking, the show about eating life up. The OutsideInstitute.org is Laura Silverman's webpage that has all her current activity. My chickens are free-range. In fact, if free-range were a spectrum, they would rank on the most extreme end of it. Yes, they have a coop. Yes, they lay and sleep in there, but when daylight comes, they go anywhere they like. Hello from the accidental farm. It's quite a place, you know. It's simple and complex at the same time. There's something about it that breeds stories. Maybe it's the animals. Or maybe it's the observations of the animals. Or worse, maybe it's the personification that I assign to them. No, I am pretty sure we have more in common, us and the animals, than we think we do. Let me use my dog as an example. If you offer him a cute dog bed, he gives you a look. You know that look? Like... Are you serious? Me? Sleep in there? I sleep in the big bed, in the middle, wherever I like. Do you have a pet who looks at you like that? When I am late for breakfast or supper, Murphy is cross. Ears back, stomping in a tantrum-like way. I am not making this up. Anyway, this is part of what you get at the accidental farm. Personalities. A little attitude. And today, the chickens, and how they reign. The first real coop here was behind the garden, in its own little yard with a fence. It was the second coop, actually. The first one was, as you may remember, a little bit more like a play coop. The one behind the garden was official. 
it was its own fortress. The chickens would scratch around in there, and when they were done, if I didn't open the fence for them, they would fly the coop. Over the fence. It's only about three feet, but still, chickens are not big flyers. Every now and again, they would get into the garden. A real sticking point between us. They could tell I was keeping something from them. Something good. And they would sprint in a lazily closed gate in a hot second. From the back of the garden, the chickens would explore around the pond, around the cairns, piles of rocks organized by the Scots clearing their land more than a hundred years ago. They would come up to the patio and peck at the kitchen door, and they would travel further still, up to the edge of the donkey pasture, looking for bugs. I like their penchant for travel, those curious chickens, hither and yon. If they caught a glimpse of me on my way up the barn road, they would not hesitate to follow me. My husband would laugh at the perpetual parade of animals that seemed to follow. The chickens, like everyone else in my life, thinks that wherever I go, snacks are soon to follow. There is some truth to that, actually. In the early spring of 2020, I thought it might be nice for the chickens to spend some time exploring the goat pasture during the summer. New bugs, unturned pasture, new worms but there's two football fields between their coop and that pasture. So I started to think about building them a mobile coop. I looked online. So many farmers have innovated mobile coops. They make it easy to clean, to harvest eggs, to protect the hens at night, and for the comings and goings of said egg layers in the early and late hours. I imagined a mini roving coop on wheels that I could pull with my John Deere gator via a trailer hitch. I thought it should have two nesting boxes with easy access hatches. I saw a farmer repurpose old milk crates, which I happened to have, as a cozy place for the hens to lay. And I thought about good ventilation near the roosts in the hot evenings, with coarse screens to protect them from any visitors while they were sleeping. Guess what? I now have an adorable mobile coop. It's white, with a black trim, two nesting box hatches, an easy enough clean-out, a hen-sized entrance, four wheels, and a trailer hitch. It's perfect. And guess who helped me make it? Carl. Guess who did most of the work? <laughs> You're right again. It has come to me conceptualizing and Carl doing most of the building. The spring of 2020 begged for this kind of project, and the hens took to it quite nicely. I moved them about the pasture for a while until they decided they liked to be near the goats and donkeys. More parades, funnier parades, some without me in them, but some with me pulling the mobile coop behind my gator with the hens and the goats following on foot. <laughs> Thanks for joining the parade here on the Accidental Farm. Stay with us. The episodes cover a lot of characters in all kinds of situations some dramatic, some more plain. It's like life here, your life, in a lot of ways, because life is like that, and this is the pure essence of life here on this funny little farm. I hope you are enjoying the farm stories. I hope you take a moment to share them. I love that you are submitting reviews, too. Thank you for that. If you haven't done one yet, join the parade. iTunes is a great place to share your thoughts 
or on the handy widget in the link in my bio on Instagram at xoxofarmgirl. See you soon. Scroll down the Radio Catskill webpage, wjffradio.org slash podcast, to find a growing list of podcast productions. It's that time of year. Local farms are hiring full-time and part-time for the 2022 growing season. Goodfine Farms and Willowisp Farms. Both of these organic farms are located in Damascus, Pennsylvania. Information details with job descriptions and wages are found on their webpages, goodfinefarm.com and willowisporganic.com. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard, Christine San Jose, and Evan Padua. Special thanks goes to Pat and Jim Sanders for their Northeast Pennsylvania Audubon report on spring birds, and to Laura Silverman for her archive What's Cooking segment on carrots, and to Farm Girl Dana for her podcast on mobile free-range chicken coops. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org a winter storm warning is in effect for our listening area until 7 tonight with total snow accumulation 7 to 12 inches. Increasing winds and heavy snowfall rates may also lead to severely reduced visibility, especially at the storm's peak between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Wind